don't be afraid to, to, to share your voice or speak up about that because you could greatly improve it for everybody. We do get blinders and get a little bit of tunnel vision the longer we practice. Um, and it's harder to see outside of that tunnel vision. So Lisa Gill, welcome to the You Are Lawyer podcast. How are you? I'm great. I'm excited to be here. This is a very cool <laughs> podcast. Thank you. I'm really excited to speak to you because podcasting turned me into an entrepreneur. And I never thought I would be an entrepreneur. I was always, I love a steady check. I don't right. want to think about things on my own. And then you start and it just, it just ballooned. Like, I think because I took the risk to start doing this, I was like, what else can I do? Right. And kind of like piqued my interest. So I want to talk or I'm excited to talk to you because you are a business owner. You're a law firm owner. You have a consultancy. You have all the stuff. So will you share, (laughs) will you share your background with the audience? Yeah. So I have a, what most people would call a non-traditional law student background. I started out as a small business owner, got married very young, had my son very young. And then, uh, so we owned a restaurant amongst other things. But in the process of owning that restaurant, there was a legislative change referred to in Tennessee as the sin tax. It was a tax that was going to tax alcohol, tobacco, and products that were high in sugar content. And that's why they called it the syntax, you know, that yeah. was the real technical name, but that's how it got phrased in the media. And as a result of the, that legislation passing, um, or at least this is my understanding in retrospect, we learn a lot of things in hindsight as business owners. Um, the, there were a lot of, there were a lot of audits that were flagged because if you were selling a business that was in any of those areas, Tennessee Department of Revenue, or at least this is my understanding, flagged those businesses uh, for audit. And honestly, in buy-sell situations, there's often considerations that we have to think of as business owners because it could result in audit or it could result in you inheriting somebody else's issues for audit. Mm-hmm. So I learned a lot about that, a lot of things I did not know prior to entering into owning a business. And just like what you were saying earlier, um, in starting a business, most people were, you're the opposite of most people. Most people kind of fall in the category I'm talking about. They don't have a lot of legal knowledge or they have very limited legal knowledge and they just know they want to start a business. Um, so we had a little bit of, of knowledge in having some business owners in the family, but not, not really. You still are kind of just jumping out there. And I've yeah. told a lot of people, if I'd gone to law school first, I probably wouldn't have owned that business or owned, I don't know if I'd own any business at first because I would have been so scared of all you, all the awareness that you get mm-hmm. from realizing what is possible, possibly litigious or how many things you have to comply with at any one given time as a business owner, especially a business owner in that industry where you're selling liquor by the drink, which in almost all mm-hmm. states is heavily regulated. So, um, after having gone through that experience, it was actually not a great experience. Nobody wants to get audited, obviously, yeah. but the result was that we didn't owe any additional taxes. So it was a favorable audit, but it really taught me, wow, look at all the legal fees we spent just to be told, you're fine, you didn't do anything wrong. Wow. Just to go through the process, you know? And But the attorney who handled the administrative hearing uh, for us and, ever, and that whole process, he, was so great. That was a great experience for me in dealing with an attorney. And it really made me kind of rethink what is my 
career path. And I had thought of going to law school and then kind of talked myself out of it because it's, you know, it's a lot. It's yeah. a lot of work. I mean, we can't, you know, minimize how much work law school is for an individual. I waited at that point. My son was still very young. He's now 22. I waited until he started kindergarten. I decided to go work at a law firm and see how I, I liked that. And I worked as a paralegal. The attorneys in the firm that I worked at really encouraged me to go back to law school. And so I went ahead and applied and got into law school, started law school when he started kindergarten. Okay. Yeah. And so through that process, I did all the regular stuff people do, you know, clerk and then um, work in a law firm. And I really realized the business owner, um, I don't know if I want to call it spirit mentality, whatever mm -hmm. we call it, it was just going to always be in me. Okay. And I really, I, I still, I still didn't think I had enough experience to have my own law firm. I really tried to seek out the best mentors and positions that I could. I started in a totally different area of practice doing construction and real estate. Oh. We went through a recession in 2009. So that entire industry, you know, market industry for law com contracted. Um, and so then I, I, I realized, okay, I need to figure out something I can do that's going to produce actual work because this, I'm, I'm scared if this is all I know how to do. And so I worked for a firm that was doing employment. I did some employment defense. They also did some real estate and construction, but for whatever reason, family law kept following me. You hmm. know, people were giving me family law cases. And one thing, one of the partners had told me at, at the time is he was like, you really shouldn't try to get away from these cases because um, I've had to change my area of practice multiple times. He was in his seventies and he had been practicing for 50 years. Yeah. And he said, so these cases always exist. He said, family law is always there. He was like, when other areas of practice dry up due to recession or market industry changes, he was like, family law cases are still happening. Yeah. So I, I, after kind of taking that into consideration, I went to a family law firm where I was immersed, where they did nothing but family law. I worked there for a while, and then I went and worked for um, some, a woman that I had always wanted to work for, and uh, also another person that I knew worked in her firm. And so I always wanted to work alongside them or, or, for, or under them. I mean, they had much more experience than I did. And that was a really good experience. And after working there for a little while, that I had some life changes that occurred. Um, my mom got really sick and uh, my son was nearing high school years. And so my husband and I, you know, we're going through a lot in dealing with all of that. And that went on. My mom was sick for about a period of four or five years. Okay. And she had congestive heart failure. So it's, it's a progressive yeah. condition that you're never going to, you're, you're never going to, it's not like cancer. It doesn't go into remission. Um, it's always terminal. So after going through that, process um, for several years and kind of telling myself, you know, it's not time. It's not the right time. My husband and I sat down and we're really like, when is it ever the right time? Right. There's just a time and yeah. you, you pick it and you go. So um, I decided to go ahead and go into a firm. I had two partners at the time. And then I, my mom, uh, well, so many things happened. My son went to college in 2019. My mom passed the following January, and then we had the pandemic. Yeah. And really, uh, during the pandemic, a lot of things, you know, they say lawyers and in traditional law practice, we adapt to change slowly. And the thing that the pandemic really opened my eyes about was that 
there may be people in private practice. My husband's a lawyer too, but he does international compliance at a large corporation. So he's working in corporations that are utilizing technology. They're becoming nimble. And I see, you know, my friends that are in big law, big law is doing it, but middle to smaller size firms still aren't, but there's really not the cost. Uh, it's not cost prohibitive anymore. You don't have to have big dollars yeah. to be implementing better technology and getting nimble on, uh, on certain things. And, those were just very important to me. And I kind of made a decision either, you know, this is, we're kind of going in that direction or we're not, or I'm, real, I'm not, I'm not risk averse. Um, I never want that to come off sounding the wrong way. But at that time, uh, I, my mom had passed and I thought, okay, there isn't a person I have to be a caretaker for. And my son is going to college. So, you know, come what may with that. Um, it, he, he knows it's time to kind of be an adult and I'm just going to go ahead and do this. And I understand if everybody isn't interested in going in this direction, but that's where I want to go. Yeah. And so I started my own firm two years ago and then drawing upon both of those experiences and also some other organizations I got involved in, I became a fellow in an uh, organization called the American Academy of Matrimonial Lawyers. And so you have to go through a kind of stringent process of applying and talking about your prior trial work and um, appellate work and all the things that you've done throughout your career. And once I was accepted as a fellow in that organization, I met a lot of people doing family law nationwide and started learning what they were doing and talking to them about experiences also that they'd had with clients because clients who are small business owners have a very different experience going through something like a divorce because it potentially exposes all of their financials to the world and for the entire history of their business, you know, not in a, not in a limited situation. It's very much just like if you were going to have a, a, a business breakup completely, like a litigation involving all the partners or members of, or shareholders, and it, all of a sudden this information is now, you know, gonna be publicly exposed and these are not publicly traded companies. So that really, just different things that I, you know, saw in, in that I was seeing my husband was explaining happening in his industry, you know, large mega conglomerate corporate industry, talking to different family lawyers across the country, and then talking to small business owners and people I know that are in like our local chambers of commerce. I thought, you know, drawing upon my original experience, even now there's still not a really good system for helping uh, small business owners gain access unless the media picks it up to pending legislation that they might be interested in, want to have impact, you know, on, you know, help them understand how does lobbying work yeah. and how trade organizations they're in or even chambers of commerce might engage a lobbyist um, if they wanted to do that. So I really start, that's where Gray Hill Consulting came from, is I okay. really started thinking about how could I talk to business owners, how can I have a forum and help people like me get that kind of information and uh, apply it? And also, how do, how do they get strength in numbers? Because one single business owner's voice is not as, as strong or as impactful as multiple business owners interested in the same thing. Yeah. So. Okay. So let's, man, you shared so many gems there. I don't know. <laughs> that was talk about. <laughs> no, it's really good because, right, like I'm hearing your story from your perspective and I'm trying to present it in the best way to the audience, but I've also read your biography, so I know some yeah. background. 
And I like how in your biography, you describe it as family-centered. You have a family-centered practice, right? Which means you deal with prenuptial agreements, postnuptial, divorce, um, LGBT issues, um, all of these issues that are family-centered. Whatever a family would deal with, you deal with those. How did you feel when people started to bring those cases to you? And you're like, hello, I'm doing real estate. I'm interested in commercial stuff. Were yeah. you, yeah. So here's how that really happens in, 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 in within the law firm, or how it happened to me anyway. We had someone who had done some family law. It was working in the law firm. I, I worked there as a paralegal. I worked there during law school. And then I you know, became an associate when I got out and took the bar. She she left like right in that time frame, okay. and so then they just the the cases that were not that were not specifically hers. Meaning, when people were calling for her, those cases would still get referred out to her at her new office. But if it was one of the other partners' existing clients, and that client happened to say, "Hey, I have a, a you know a family law issue. Can the firm handle it?" They would just start giving those to me, mm-hmm. and. Um, I had to teach myself uh, and build forms and, you know, everything kind of from scratch. And, and um, that's how it happened to me. Yeah. And then I thought, you know, maybe I'll get away from it and go to this other firm. But they started giving me those types of cases, too, <laughs> because they knew I, I had learned how to do them. And, yeah. and so once that became a large part of my practice, like 70 percent of my practice, I ended up having a case with this attorney from another firm. And after we argued something in court, uh, she asked me to lunch and she asked me if I, you know, was interested in having a job at her firm. And, and I, I hadn't been actively looking, but her firm did nothing but family law. You know, mm-hmm. they had decades of experience and I had no internal mentor at either one of the firms I just described who actually did family law. Yeah. I had to build my forms just by buying form books or looking at the legislation and drafting it, which I will say in hindsight was actually probably a good thing because I'm not form dependent. I don't need a form. I see a lot of young lawyers needing someone else to have already built the form before they can take the language of the law and turn it into a pleading. And I'm, I'm not really like that because of how I had to start. Mm-hmm. Um, but that was how it happened. I mean, okay. it, it was, it was, you know, they, they, I've heard old lawyers say, older lawyers say, you don't, it's different than medicine. You don't really mm-hmm. choose your fellowship a lot of times. I think that's changing some from what I understand and the legal education, the law school experience. But they would say, you know, your area of practice finds you somehow. You don't actually yeah. choose it the way doctors do when they're going through their educational process. Okay. So I want to say, because the audience of the podcast is a lot of law students and younger lawyers, five years practicing or or less. And so for the law students who are listening, this is really important because a lot of times you graduate from law school and then you're like, great, you get a job, you shadow whoever is your mentor, you take on all of their forms, you take on all their templates. I'm talking even down to like an email template. If someone writes you with three bullets, you write back with these three bullets and what you have to say. So the fact that you started with a blank slate, (laughs) a book of business, right? The work was coming to you, but you had to create it all. That's a huge deal. I mean, you basically were in an incubator for running your own law firm right then. Yes, that's funny that you should say that because over time, it, in, in, within the firm now, within the last two years, I have gone back through the checklists 
and different forms I've created and compiled them into a training manual. And it's wow. one of those things, just like anything you, uh, you do, um, I'm not going to compare it to Nelson Mandela's experience. So please no one take what I'm saying to mean that. But he, he, he has that quote where he says it always seems impossible until it's done. Yeah. And I feel like my experience was quite the opposite. I didn't know everybody acted like I should know how to do it and be able to do it. So I just did it. I didn't realize, like you said, how much it was until later in life, experiencing what you're talking about, experiencing a firm I worked with in that did nothing but family law and them having all the forms and the templates. Mm -hmm. And I was thinking, well, it would have been so much simpler if I'd started out this way. But um, yeah. Yeah. And yeah, but now you get to say, help. Mm -hmm. I'm sorry, I'm going to interrupt you. Okay. I was just saying, now you get to help the next generation because now you've created those templates and you've basically created your own little manual to help the next group. Yes. And also, though, to let them know I'm very open minded about that because that, that's the other thing that experience taught me. Everybody doesn't know everything just because they've been doing it years longer than you. Yeah. You may see something that could be improved greatly in an internal process or external process, although it's harder to impact external processes like the courts um, and how their procedures operate, but it's not impossible. And don't be afraid to, to, to share your voice or speak up about that because you could greatly improve it for everybody. Mm -hmm. uh, and and we get we do get blinders and get a little bit of tunnel vision the longer we practice, um, and it's harder to see outside of that tunnel vision. Yeah, absolutely. And so I think a really good way for you to see outside of that tunnel vision is as the chair of the Tennessee Bar Association. That's a huge deal. Yeah. Are you already sworn in, or is that something that's coming later in 2023? So that chair position started July 1st. It okay. Is the most to me the most exciting thing I have been involved in. I, 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 like a lot of people, did go to law school because I wanted to, I was passionate about impacting change for everybody, for regular people. Um, a lot of people go to law school because they think they want to run for office. And that was, that was something I was interested in too. I'm not sure that I'm still interested in that because <laughs> I realize it's a, it's a lot of work. I know people who are passionately dedicated to it and um, they sacrifice a lot for a, often a very, those positions are not high paying. So people who think people get in politics just for money and power, I'm sure there are some people that do it, but the majority of people I have encountered really get into it because their passion runs that deep. Yeah. Um, so anyway, getting back to what you're talking about, the, the Tennessee Bar Association Family Law Executive Committee, though that committee, its entire, it's not its entire purpose, but predominant purpose, is to review existing legislation and rules of law and rules of court and also look at pending bills and legislation and give input on those to make sure that they make sense in the way they would be implemented because we as practitioners understand that and there's also ju judges on that committee understand how those things are actually going to get implemented and so we give input you know to try to help families have the best possible outcome and we try to give input on existing legislation that we're you know explaining this isn't working something needs to be changed here so that is the most to me like the pinnacle of why i went to law school you know in that role really having some kind of impact on legislation and how the courts operate and what laws govern tennessee families yeah so what was the process like were you 
um, recommended to be to join the board or that executive committee, or was it something that you had to put your name in the hat for, or how did you get that designation? It, so, I'm a pretty most people, and I'm sure that's the same for you. Starting this podcast, I'm a pretty plucky person. <laughs> I, you know, I mean, just kind of like volunteer for things and try to figure out how I'm gonna. Um, handle do whatever later because I'll work really hard to make up the difference and I, I I got asked to come I believe it was like an open meeting where anybody could come and during that meeting they uh, or it was either that or the next open meeting that I went to they had nominations and so um, I you know after meeting I knew some of the people already on the committee and after meeting them really just said you know I, I would be interested and it was put to a vote and um, decided that I, I could do it. But I mean, I think the, the way generally that you get in positions, and I'm saying that because you told me your audience, you know, their average years in practice or in law school, mm -hmm. is honestly just show up and be present, do the, show people that you're somebody that's going to do the work. Most of the people have been on committees like that for a long time. They've already done the work. Yeah. That doesn't mean they're not going to continue to do the work because all the people on this committee are very active, continue to do the work, but they would love for a young, vibrant person to come in. And I, I mean, I'm vibrant for this committee at 45, <laughs> but y'all will be vibrant for the other committee because there's just a lot of um, more seasoned professionals on this committee. Yeah. Uh, but they would love to see you volunteer. They would love to see that you're interested and want to do the work and they will help you. That's always been my experience is that once you volunteer as um what is that scout, I guess, or whatever, um, that they, they will rally around you to kind of teach you and help you. And, uh, that's, that's generally been my experience. I haven't had a lot of negative experiences in doing things like this. And, uh, they have all really, really enriched my career. I don't come from, I don't, I don't know that I've ever had a single client that was referred to me by family. Mm -hmm. I am a first gen everything. Um, I don't have uh, anyone in my immediate family that, you know, had a four-year degree or anything like that. So my, my general experience, though, has been that I've been very enriched just by putting myself out there yeah. and volunteering and then asking, you know, for help from people who are more experienced rather than posturing and trying to act like we're equals, just acknowledging, hey, I know you know more than I do, and I'd really love to know if you talk to me about what you know. And I've learned so many things so much quicker that way um, than I think I would have if I had, you know, just put my head down all the time and never been been willing to ask. And I would even go into court, for instance, when I was first practicing in family law, and I was just, they were just sending me. I was just figuring it out. I was developing all my own outlines. I would go into court. Wouldn't be, I would be in a court I wasn't familiar with because I practiced in two different states. Um, I would just ask somebody who was sitting next to me, hey, are you a lawyer? Because sometimes people have suits on court, but they're not lawyers. Yeah. And they would say, yeah. And I'd say, uh, I would ask them a bunch of questions. I've never, ever had one person look at me and then ignore me. I mean, mm -hmm. Most people always say, oh, yeah, sure, because they've all been there before. Yeah. Right? They've all been sent down to court when they didn't know what they were doing. And a partner or somebody said, hey, I need you to do this. And the partner always acts like it's easy because it's easy to him because he's been practicing for 30 years or something. But when you get down there, it's extremely complicated. And yeah. that's, you know, that's just how you, you get through it. And I think that's a, the other thing I would tell your audience is I do think because of that law school and being a lawyer, even if you only do it for a few years before you start some other entrepreneurial, you know, endeavor is a great experience because it is a profession like no other that kind of just 
throws you out there and says, you know how to be a lawyer. And you're like, are you sure? And they're like, yeah, that's what they were teaching you. And you're like, well, I don't know about that. <laughs> I don't think that. I missed that class. <laughs> yeah. You, you do have to learn things on the fly, even within the structure of big law. You know, you, there is a lot of anybody who's worked in big law could run for office for sure. Mm -hmm. Right. There is a lot of learning how the inter inner workings uh, make things work. So to speak. Yeah. And um, all of that's applicable to business. Oh, absolutely. I always say that I think law school taught me how to do 15 things at one time, but it feels like three things at one time because I'm always doing all this stuff. And I'm like, and people are like, how are you? Aren't you tired? I was like, I don't know what I would do if I was doing less. Right. I'm yeah. used to yes. going at this yes. speed. I'm used yes. to always doing this and, you know, prioritizing. So, yeah. Okay. Um, but I do want to touch on one thing that you said that was really important, which is just to get involved with your bar association. Right. As a new lawyer, as a young lawyer, yes, you pay the fees. You have to <laughs> or your license will be suspended or held up. But also go to the meetings, get involved, participate. You never know who you'll meet. You'll never know who you'll be sitting down next to. You never know when they'll be calling for people to join the executive committee. Like, yes. just go. You're, you have to pay for it anyway. Just go. Yes. <laughs> and the other thing you were saying, because, I, you know, when I tell that story, it sounds like, oh, well, they just picked her out of thin air after she went to a couple of open meetings. No. When I went to a couple of open meetings, there were people that I knew who knew me from those types of experiences you're yeah. talking about. And and they'll remember you and they'll they'll go to bat for you. Uh, and, and if you are, especially, you know, like I'm saying, I don't have any friends in the legal community. I don't have any family members in the legal community. Um, they that's where you kind of develop your your network of people and they'll also help you navigate what we were talking about. You know, I don't know about that person, but this one person's a good source for mm -hmm. this. She might be a good source for that information. And, you know, they, they give you all the experience and their 10,000 foot view for as long as they've been involved in organization too. Once you, yeah. once you develop that relationship. Yeah, absolutely. And I mean, it's good to just do things in person, right? I know a lot of law students, especially now, everything is online. Everything is social media, which is a form of networking. But in-person networking is still, it's absolutely invaluable to be in the room with someone else. It's just really important. So. 100%. Yeah. All right. So, Lisa, you mentioned Gray Gill. You mentioned that you own a business in the consultancy. But I want to talk more about it, right? Because you assist women who are re-entering into the workforce. Is that because they've either are plateaued or someone who's left, you know, to care for a child and then is coming back? Or why that specific niche so well I, it's something that we didn't talk about in my background after the audit process at some point I did also go through a divorce it was after the second year of law school okay and so that th those are my two big experiences really with being represented you know in in the legal system by an attorney and kind of what we're talking about too also I in retrospect think, oh, of course this is my area of practice. I thought it was other things, but it really makes sense that it's this based on my own personal experiences. And, and talking about helping women reenter the workforce or empowering women, my general experience prior to going to law school, even though there was this small business predominantly, my husband was the person in charge, you know, or who handled 
the finances and things like that. And honestly, even going through the audit process, I was like, why is this happening? I don't even understand. You know, it was a lot of relying on this attorney explaining everything to me because I had been largely left out and just kind of said, oh, sure, that's fine, whatever. Yeah. Um, and I have a, because of that, I have a heightened awareness too of what that feels like and how women need help and guidance. And it's a different kind of guidance, to be honest. Um, there, I don't want to say we infantilize uh, women. I hate saying that, but it's something similar to that process. And we don't we don't realize it. I understand where it comes from in our country. Uh, you know, people who uh, think that it's an old-fashioned value that a spouse. And I even sit in rooms with people where the the and you would think, what is this, the 1800s? Where the, the, I hate saying that, but where the family, all in good, you know, good intention has helped pass off a inheritance of the wives to the spouse. And I don't mean like giving them the money, but maybe yeah. saying, you know, here, why don't you help her with this or whatever? And that happens quite frequently. Like I said, all all good intentioned, but not something that a family law attorney would advise them to do if consulted. And we talked about prenups. I mean, you, you mentioned that earlier. I'm a pretty big proponent of, of prenuptial agreements because I think people think, oh, those are only for rich people. No, no. We are getting married a lot of times later now. We have our own um, assets and um retirement and other things and it just is very going to be helpful a very good guide the other reason i'm so big on them is because they force two people you know we do a lot of different premarital counseling that's required to get a, a, a license to marry but to me finances sex is the old taboo finance is the new taboo yeah. people sit in a room who are about to get married and they don't really know each other's finances at all and understanding that is a big part of understanding your relationship and how your relationship is going to thrive because you understand how do both of us view money, what do we want to do with money long term, and that's how we met out a lot of different life goals, right? Mm -hmm. So there's no reason not to be transparent, um, you know, in, about our assets and our objectives, and that's the other reason I feel like prenuptial agreements are so important because they force everybody to kind of examine that decision on the front end. And there's nothing wrong with that. Um, yeah. and it doesn't doesn't necessarily mean somebody's suspicious of the other person or anything. It's just, hey, this is, and I live in a state, for instance, Tennessee has a decision where they have determined in our highest court here that it's not against public policy to ask someone to waive alimony in a prenup. Um, wow. Yeah. Wow, is right. I couldn't waive that, not knowing what I would have right. in so, the future. Yeah, that's hard. <laughs> there's, there's arguments that can be made, but they have upheld those waivers. And so uh, to think, you know, I just feel like we, when the laws are changing in this direction, women need to have a heightened awareness of what is the impact on them, especially yeah. in marriage. And it also is going to be impacting their children. Yeah. Uh, because even if you're getting child support, but you're getting no alimony and you're not an income earner within a household, 
uh, that's serious. That's a serious, you know, financial impact. So prenups yeah. are important to me, and I think people really need to understand how they impact. I think that there needs to be a higher level of education for us as women to understand how they impact uh, women upon divorce, state to state. Absolutely, because even when I think about TV, you only hear about a prenup because someone is rich or you're suspicious that they're a gold digger. Right. It's always like a negative <laughs> a thing. A negative or connotation. Mm -hmm. yeah. mm -hmm. So I love that. So Great Gill is not only about re-entering the workforce, you know, because you took a break to raise your children or whatever. It's because of any any type of a change where like, you know, you were in law school, you were married. And then when you left law school, you were not married. So now you're re-entering the law firm or the, excuse me, you are re-entering the workforce, but your situation's completely different, right? right? And so you assist women with how to get on their feet with that. Right, so Graydale really is, is it's it's aimed at business owners, male and female. Okay. But it is really, we also have some workshops that we do specifically aimed at financial literacy for women on the topics that you and I are talking about. Okay. Um, we really try to help women and men in business understand that the law all around you is changing. The law all around you may impact your business. Don't learn about it after it already has impacted your business in a negative way. Here's how you can stay. Can, here's how you can stay up to date on it in real time. And then the same thing, like what I was talking about with alimony. The same thing in workshopping financial literacy in explaining to um, you know women, really helping them understand what is the legal. How does the legal process view your marriage and your assets and your income earning capacity and all of these things or your business because women may have their own business too before they're getting married so they understand those things before not after mm -hmm. they are married or um or getting a divorce yeah i love that i think that's a really good point and I think it's awesome that you've created this consultancy where you can go out, where people can seek you out, where they can sign up for the workshops and learn about something that they didn't already know, right? Because even if you grew up with an allowance or a piggy bank or whatever, understanding money as an adult, understanding money as a married person, understanding money as a parent, those are all completely different situations. Very, very different. And so everyone could use like a little refresher course to kind of understand what they need to know now. Yeah. So, yes. Okay. And especially becoming a business owner. Mm -hmm. I, 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 it's, it's totally different than it is. like you were talking about being a W2 and then being a business owner and kind of figuring out, um, what things, what are actual, what are my actual business expenses? And sometimes my seat, what my CPA says is not what I'm thinking. I'm thinking <laughs> that's a business expense. And he's like, no, it's not. <laughs> You know, no. so really understanding that with clarity so you yeah. can make your decisions about where you're going to spend your money. That's a really great point. I hired a business coach and the first time I got yelled at was because I wasn't paying myself for running a business. And they were like, I don't care if it's $50 a month, you have to pay yourself. And then as your income increases, then you can start increasing your salary. But you are finding guests, you're interviewing them, you're researching yes. them. All of that stuff costs money. And they were like, you're not going to see the value and the potential of your business until you start paying yourself for it. You have to like right. be invested. That's and right. I was like, oh, that's silly. So I was like, okay, you know, I'm the rebellious lawyer. I was like, I'll do like $75. I don't have to do 50. And then you watch the pot grow and you're like, oh, wow, this is all the work I've done. And you're like, actually, yes. I feel like I did $300 worth of work today. And yes. so then you start, and I was like, oh, I can see it. 
But also then when I'm looking for sponsors or when I'm selling merchandise or whatever, I'm like, they can see the value. Now you can see the value also as the business owner. Like it, it works together. So yes. all that to say, hire people who know more than you, yes. <laughs> including Lisa Gill with her consultancy so that you can see your blind spots because there's stuff that you don't know. And it's always a good idea to reach out to people who know more than you. So the biggest benefit working within it has given me as a woman is realizing my time has value. Mm-hmm. And uh, what you just described, so many entrepreneurs do that and they put so much of their money back in the business. It also helps you when you're hiring uh, other people because you're trying to figure out how much of my time are they saving? Meaning, do they save me time? Do they cost me time? And I can yeah. actually quantify that. And then where do I, like you said, who do I, who do I decide to get as sponsors? Who do I decide to bring on as guests? And which guests perform the best for me as a podcast, you know, host. I mean, it's all part of that, mm-hmm. uh, quantifying all those things. And um, working in the hourly billable model really helped me with that versus before. Yeah, absolutely. So if you are watching this interview between myself and Lisa Gill, thank you so much for watching. New episodes come out every single week. And if you're not watching, I don't know why not. You can always find the You Are Lawyer podcast on YouTube. But continue to listen in your car, when you're commuting, when you're cooking, doing all that stuff. The podcast is available on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Amazon Music, YouTube Music, absolutely everywhere. Okay, so back into the interview with Lisa Gill. All right, Lisa. So I typically ask for advice for the audience, right? New lawyers, young lawyers, and law students. But you've already given us a lot of that. (laughs) So I'm going to switch it up. (laughs) So it's a personal question, but I hope it's a funny one. All right. People often ask me if I'm married to a lawyer. I don't know why, but I want to know what's it like being married to a lawyer? Like, do you guys have like, do you think in a similar way because you're both lawyers or what? Like, give us a scoop. So yes and no. What my husband does is so different. And honestly, he's attracted to that work because he also has in my mind, he, he worked in business. He worked for a company called Eurosports and, and did sales like internationally for rugby equipment. He was a soccer oh, wow. player in college. So I think that's how that came about. So he did that first and then he went to law school. So I think he also has kind of more of a business minded and really did not like being an hourly, you know, billable model. And also really like we're talking about being client centric. How are you offering a better product? And I think that that hurts a lot of people as far as their passion and their drive and their wellness when they're in an environment where somebody's telling them, well, we don't care about the value of the product in the way that you're saying. And to him, coming from this business product sales background, he's thinking that is all we care about is the product yeah. and, the, and, the, and the impact on the customer. So I think that's how he, he has gravitated towards in-house positions and really thinks more uh, in that way of like, how do we offer a better product? How do we save the business uh, time or money? And we think alike in that way. What we do is so totally different okay. in practice. So we don't get hung up talking about all family law stuff or <laughs> all international compliance stuff. Uh, but I'm, I like it though, because we can talk about anything kind of like what we're talking about before, and that's very important to me, I can share a piece of legislation with him and say, you know, read over this, 
tell me how it reads to you. And it's actually helpful because he's not in family law. He won't mm -hmm. read over it, meaning he'll actually read it in detail and see, does it make sense to him as another lawyer um, as how that would implement or be done? So I like it generally, but I hate it in the sense that we can't get out of those conversations sometimes, you know, to, to, to just, we try, we try to watch, he, he likes sports and some sports I like, or I like, you know, um, there were a lot of stuff. I go through the list of things I'm watching right now. Power, yeah. you know, he, I don't know if you watch that show. It's incredible. <laughs> it was a book, but um, okay. uh, it's a highly recommend for me. Uh, so it's hard for us to get out of what people would call sometimes analysis paralysis when something yeah. has a legal aspect to it. But generally, I like it. <laughs> okay. I, I, I give it a five. It's out of five. Yeah, <laughs> that's sweet. No, people always ask me that. And I'm like, my husband builds websites for, you know, HRP, like payroll companies. So I was like, I, yes. I mean, but it's funny, though, because he is obsessed with legal shows. And like half of his YouTube follows are like legal things and people doing commentary on. And then he's yeah. like, "Want to talk about it?" And I'm like, "That's someone's complete opinion." No, I don't want to. <laughs> I actually don't. I just talked to two lawyers earlier today. Nope, let's talk about something else. So it's funny that he has such an interest, even though he's like not involved in it at all. So okay, very cool. Yeah. But it's also funny how people think we just flock together, like we're all married to lawyers and we don't have any friends that aren't lawyers. Yeah, and it's like no, no, um, no. <laughs> after after law school, you you will get back out into an environment and meet other people, and not just be only with lawyers all day. Or you will. It's yeah. funny though. Like I was just talking to my law school roommate today. She and I have definitely stayed close. Um, but yeah, I mean, you know, of course, because we all interact professionally, and I think that's why then we do like branch out with the friendships because it's like okay, now I can go talk to civilians. Right. Non-lawyers. Yes, non-lawyers. <laughs> so, all right, cool. Well, Lisa, thank you so much for talking to me today. Would you thank share you. your website with the audience so that they can go and uh, take a look? Yeah, sure. It's www.gillgillfamlaw.com. Okay. Thank you so much. So, everyone, I hope you enjoyed this episode with Lisa Gill, and I will talk to you later. Bye.